We are in a new series called Rooted. And it doesn't really matter whether you've been a Christian for uh, five minutes, five years, or five decades. Uh, these, I think the things that we're going to look at are, even if you already, like, you know them, and even if you practice them, and even if you are a good example of them, they're kind of like plant. Plants, you're never just plant and done. You have to tend, you have to care. I'm fascinated by bonsai trees. It's an art, I think, not just an, an agriculture thing. It's an art that men and women will have decades invested in each arrangement of a, of a true bonsai tree. And I follow this guy on Instagram who himself is probably 70 years old. And then I follow another lady who she's probably in her 60s, I would guess. And his... His works and his ideas and his designs are absolutely incredible. He's in the Pacific Northwest. And on your coffee table, you can get from him that he's worked decades on each piece. You can get from him what looks like a miniature Oregon, you know. I mean, it just the, it looks like the forests of the Pacific Northwest. And, and it's just absolutely incredible. And it, it might be this tall. And but it but it is a forest and you would think if you were zoomed in on it you didn't know it was bonsai there's no way you would know it's absolutely incredible but that takes years of development of care of learning of expertise of tending of learning each individual arrangements needs and what you need to do for that it, it is a skill and an art and everything all in one thing and this lady I mentioned. She's Japanese, where the art originates from, and she is tending to bonsai trees that are, I mean, absolute works of art. Her grandfather planted. Uh, you're talking about things like, like oak trees that are fully mature, and they don't mature faster as bonsai than they do as trees out in your yard. You know, you plant an oak tree so that your grandkids can enjoy it. You don't get to really enjoy uh, a true huge, I'm not talking like live oaks, but like the huge tall oaks that you will see. That's something you plant for further generations. Our faith is very much the same way. It takes tending. It does take a learning of skill and expertise. And, you know, we kind of tend to think that if something is given to us by grace, that there's nothing for us to do. And that's not true. Grace does not mean that there's nothing for you to do about your faith. What grace means is that you are welcome into the kingdom of God and into a relationship with God and forgiven for all of your sins and your trespasses and your weaknesses. Every mistake you ever made, are making, or will make. That's beautiful. So that you can serve and grow and work and build each other up and become a stronger, wiser, more loving person in your life to the glory of God and to the building of his kingdom so that you attain spiritual strength, spiritual skills, spiritual wisdom and insight. There's a purpose to all of this and it takes time. You know, it takes time. And much like a little bonsai tree, that's it. you're basically a bonsai tree on God's coffee table. You may have felt more significant than that. I think that's huge. You know, that we could be a part of the household of God is amazing. But that's not a plastic floral arrangement. That's a tree, a living being that's tended to, John 15, that is sometimes pruned and shaped, sometimes drastically, 
They will use to make bonsai trees. They will use metal wire to reshape branches and those ornate shapes that they will grow into. So it looks like it just happened naturally, but it was actually shaped the same way that sometimes you may come to a point in your life and you say, wow, that is so cool that I've grown to be this or to do that or to understand this. And it feels like it was just natural. But in truth, with God's hard wire of his word and through the movement of the spirit and the pruning of Jesus, what happened? You were shaped. You were made into what you are. You are made into the image of God through God's hand. We're going to look this morning at two of the ways he does that. We looked at some last week. We'll look at some more next week. Two of the ways we're going to look at today are prayer and the word of God. These seem so basic to us as Christians. You know, everybody kind of knows, even if you don't know anything about being a Christian, you know that, well, you know, they kind of like their Bible and they pray a lot. Okay, so you at least you know that or you should know that we would hope that you would know that. And God would hope that we as Christians would would know that and do that and grow from that. So first passage I want to look at is this one from Philippians chapter four. And let me remind you, we do use the version app and all of these slides and outline. It's all in there. So if you like to take notes, you can do that digitally. It's all there. Philippians four, verses six through seven. Do not be anxious about anything. I'm going to stop. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but you know who you are. How many of you in the last week, if this was the only statement we read this morning, you already feel like, well, I already blew that. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be worried. Don't stay up late because you can't sleep, because you can't stop thinking about it, because it's on your heart and it's on your mind and you're worried about it. Do not be anxious about anything. I love it when Paul writes these really frank, declarative statements, because you know what we do? We make a sport out of putting little asterisks on it, right? Well, I'm not worried. I'm not anxious. I'm just... Y'all, there's enough Church of Christ people in this room to know what the next word is, right? I'm just... Yes! Concerned. That's what we say. I'm not worried. I'm just concerned. Which is what? Church of Christ is for worried. That's what that means. It's in the manual. I saw it one time. And we worry about stuff because we're human. Because we don't have control. Which is a myth, okay? A control for humans. It's just an absolute myth. Some people spend their life trying to gain it. But it isn't real. It isn't there for us. It's not our place. But we worry and, and we stay up and we sweat things out. And so many things. Years ago, I realized this. Uh, it doesn't mean I struggle with it. I still do. But years ago, I realized this and I kind of laugh. We get through things. And so many of them were never as big as we thought they were. They were never as challenging as we thought they were. Because we were just forgetting God's size against those problems. You see what I'm saying? And then we look back on what we were struggling with so much and what we were worried about so much. And honestly, you look back at yourself, the, pre, the, the midst of the worry self, and you look back and you go, man, I was kind of a wimp right there, wasn't I? Because that was not that big a deal. Now, in truth, maybe it was. It's just that God was that much bigger, was that much greater, and provided that much strength. Maybe you weren't a wimp. Maybe you were strong, but way too weak. And you needed the Lord, of course. So 
don't be anxious about anything, Paul says. He's not beating you up. He's just reminding you. Don't be anxious. Not about anything. Don't let anything get under your skin like that. Well, okay, but how am I going to keep that from happening? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, which means you lay it all out there for God. Say, God, I need you to take this. I don't know what to do. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. You know, it, now it's, it's common for people to put the little the hashtag and, and the letters that means, you know, thank you in advance. So, same thing with God. Thanking God for what he's done. Thanking God for what he's about to do. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a big promise in there, isn't there? If you will just lay it all out there. You got worries? Give them to it. You got things to be grateful for? Praise Him. Lay it all out there. And when you do, there is a promise. Look at what it said. And the peace of God, verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Said, so, Well, I would have prayed about it, but I was just too worried. Read it again. You see what I mean? We do that. Read it again. Well, I was trying to pray about it, but I kept getting distracted by. I know. I've been there, too. Listen, I'm an overthinker, okay? I Overanalyzer, overthinker, all of that kind of stuff. And, and so this happens. I, I have this struggle. So go read it again. Pray it again. Let him have it again. Stop taking it back. Just let him have it. And then what happens? Then the promise comes true. But we gotta, we gotta pray, pray through. And that's because prayer is the ultimate God. I love you. And I trust you. And I know you'll handle this. Prayer itself is an act of love for God. It's saying, God, I really do love you enough to let you have your way in my life. Have it. So do that. Abraham Lincoln put it this way. Usually when I quote Abraham Lincoln, it's the sunset teacher, but this is actually the president. Uh, he said this. You've probably read this before. I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for the day. I love that because I have those days where my own wisdom is not enough and nobody else has any answers either. That's what he just said. And I feel that way, and you feel that way, and we're there really pretty often in our life. We just don't have the answers, but we know the one who does. They're not always five-minute answers. Sometimes it takes days, months. It might take years. But he has them. And there's no such thing, no offense to the Garth Brooks fans, there's no such thing as unanswered prayers. No is an answer. Okay? Later is an answer. I'm answering that, but I got a better thing than what you're thinking of. Is an answer. All prayers are answered. Thank God for them all. Which is kind of the thing. He just worded it funny, and I like the song, so I'm not picking on Garth or anything. If I was, it would be other things. It wouldn't be that. Corey Ten Boom. A lot of you uh, have read the book, The Hiding Place. And if you have not read the book, The Hiding Place... Go, get it this week and read it. A lot of the stuff that, that we're looking at this morning in the scriptures, 
is in there. But it's a true story, and it happened, and you can see where God worked through all of that, and it's incredible. Go and read the book. It's about a family in Amsterdam that housed Jews so that they would not be taken by the Nazis, and it's about the things that they went through, and they were arrested, and they were put in the concentration camp. And their story of faith all along, and their reliance on God through all of that, and their reliance on the Christian community through all of that is incredible. Corey Ten Boom is the one who wrote it, and her attitude and what she learned is incredible. Her father's example in the book is incredible. Uh, her sister had an attitude that's so much better in the midst of trials than almost any human you've ever met. It's worth the price of admission for the book. So go and, and get that and learn from their example. But after the war, she decided she wanted to help people heal, and she wanted to share those lessons uh, that she had learned through all of those hardships with others. And so she actually wrote quite a bit, spoke a lot of different places, and this is one of the, just one of the many things that she said that is really good. The wonderful thing about praying is that you leave a world of not being able to do something. You feel like that? You just can't. You, there's nothing you can do to make whatever it is right. You don't know the answer. You don't have it. Or it's just outside of our abilities to fix it at all. The wonderful thing about praying is that you leave a world of not being able to do something and enter God's realm where everything is possible. Do you believe that? That in the realm of God, where Christians live, first chapter of Ephesians says, we dwell in the heavenly places, in the place of God. Like right now, not later, now. The realm of God where everything is possible. He specializes in the impossible with man, it is, what did Jesus say? With man, it is impossible. But with God, how many things? All things. Another place, no asterisk in your Bible. Well, all things except in my case, because God doesn't always like me all that much. No, that's not there. No asterisks. You enter the realm where everything is possible. He specializes in the impossible. Nothing is too great for his almighty power. Nothing is too small. It's my favorite part. Nothing is too small for his love. And her implication is his love for you. Nothing is too small. Whatever is going on. You may have things in your life that you would say, yeah, nobody loves me because of this. Well, I don't know if that's true or not as far as humans go. Okay, I don't know. You'd be a better gauge than I would be. But you're not outside the love of God. And if God's people are living up to their calling, you won't be outside of their love either. Nothing is too small for His love. Take it to God. We, there's an old song. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Just do it. Cast all your anxieties on him. Why? You should know I was going to give you so many pop quizzes this morning, did you? Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you, is what the scriptures say. Because he cares for you. It's true. But we don't know those things, do we? Unless we actually know the word of God. And that's part of the thing. That's why there's a pop quiz. 
because you don't know the promises you have when it comes to answered prayers unless you actually know the word of God. We've got to be a people of the word because that's where we get the nutrients for those roots to really grow and nourish the rest of the plant. That's where we learn the truths of who God is and how much God loves us. Why did Corey Ten Boom know that God loves us? Even the smallest things, even the hardest things, and even in the greatest failures. Why would she know that? The lady had read her Bible. When she was in the concentration camp, she led, she and her sister led a Bible study. This is one of my favorite parts of the story. This is not a big spoiler alert. One of my favorite parts is they're in this concentration camp and in this particular barracks. And it's horrible. It's so nasty. They go to the back and they had their Bible study at the very back of the barracks in the far back corner. I don't know why, but in my mind's eye, it was back in the left corner. I don't know if that's true or not, but when I read, I visualize. Uh, but they're back in that dark, dark corner. And they wouldn't go and they wouldn't... Uh, the guards would never come in and disrupt. They wouldn't come into the place. And she never really understood why, but she was thankful. They didn't come in, so they were able to have the Bible study. And people came to Christ because of this Bible study in a Nazi concentration camp. Okay? Don't ever write yourself excuses of, well, I just can't because. If you're not a Nazi concentration camp doing a Bible study, you ain't got no excuses. You know? I mean, come on. What, what, what are you going to Well, we couldn't have Bible study. The air conditioner broke. Really? Really? So, whatever. She's back there having that Bible study, she and her sister. When they had first arrived at the barracks, it was a flea-bitten barracks. And Corrie Ten Boom's attitude was really bad, she said. Just really bad. And her sister's attitude was quite good. And her sister, Bessie, her sister just was like, thank you, Lord, in her prayers, thank you, Lord, for the fleas. And at one point, Corey Tinboom says, what is she thinking? You know, she's just like, that's ridiculous. Why would you thank God for fleas? And she admired her sister and she was grateful for her attitude, but she thought, I think she might be losing it. You know, that sort of a thing like we would think. Long story short, at the very end, she came to understand that the whole reason the guards would not come into the barracks was because of the fleas and because of the stench. And then she understood, God uses fleas. They were their protection. They were what enabled them to do the work of God in a place where they were not really supposed to be doing the work of God. And she said, so now I understand. You thank God for the fleas. You don't get an attitude like that, though, without knowing who God is and knowing Jesus, spending time in the Gospels and seeing what is his heart, what is his life, how does he care? And knowing the story from Genesis to maps about who his, what his character is and how he has delivered his people over and over and over and over again. And then, even if you're in a barracks full of fleas, you can thank God for the fleas because you know, whatever it is, I don't understand, but God is at work. Because God has always been at work. He will always be at work. And he's doing what he said he would do. But you only know that through the Word. Paul writes to Timothy, and he's a young minister at the time. And Paul is, is kind of his father in the faith and his mentor and his coach and all of that. And so he writes to him, and a lot of times in, in 1st, 2nd Timothy, 
you see Paul telling Timothy uh, different things that are, are very, very mentor, coach, teacher light. And he says, let no one dis, uh, despise you for your youth. Uh, some translations, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. But set the believers an example. Now, that's, that's a good mentor, isn't it? Don't let anybody look down on you. Okay, because you're proud and you're just not going to let them. No. Anybody looks down on me, I'm going to deck them. No. How are you going to counter the fact that some people might look down on you, whether it's for youth or whatever else? Character. Be worthy of respect. Set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Character. You want their respect. Don't let them look down on you. Prevent that by having such good character. They don't have a reason to look down on you. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Why do you think that next thing is right thereafter? Let no one look down on you because of your youth and have good character. Do you think that's coincidental? Or do you think that's part of his thought process? Get into the Word. Read it. Read it together as a community, as a church family. Get into a small group or have a friend that you meet for coffee and all of the above. Do what you need to do so that you are growing together in the Word of God. Don't neglect the public reading of Scripture. Why do we have so many of our people who do, whether it's prayer or praise or just one of the prayers or the Lord's Supper, why do so many of those people read the Word of God uh, before they go in prayer? It's because they go in prayer with faith because of what they've gained from the Word of God. It's what their prayers are built on. The truths and promises and character and heart of God as revealed in the Word of God. So devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Devote yourself to the reading of Scripture privately too. Just period. Know the Word of God. We don't understand how blessed we are to live in a time where it's so easy for us to have access. There was a time in history, the broader part of history, where Christians could only get the Word of God when they came together. Now, I'm not talking about during the dark period where they chained the Bible to the pulpit. I'm talking about first century Christianity. There were extra copies to send out to everybody. And so you came together and you read them together and you grew together. You wrestled with those scriptures together, learned from each other. And that process is still a built-in part of the church that we really need. Nobody's above that need. We need one another and we need to grow with one another in the word of God. He continued on. Verse 15. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Well, how are they going to see your progress? By the fruit of your prayer life and your time in the Word and your, your growing with the church, your work, they're going to see it. It's going to bear fruit. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. I've told you all this before. I'm just going to repeat it because I think it's this important. Verse 16, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Life, of course, is understandable. Your behavior, doctrine, just what you believe about God and what you believe God believes about you, right? That's your doctrine. What, what do you understand about the Word of God? What are your beliefs as a Christian? Watch both things. And it doesn't mean watch like you watch TV. Sit back and go, yeah, I got them. 
you know? I love how people will watch football on TV and all their pronouns change to we. Yeah, we won that one. No, you didn't. You were sitting there with a Slurpee and a Lazy Boy. We didn't do anything. I've seen that. We. Don't do that with your Christian life. If you're going to say we, make sure it's real. Okay? Make sure it's real. Watch your life. Make sure that your life and your behavior is actually bearing out the things you have learned from God. Make sure that it bears out the comfort you've gotten from prayer. Walk in confidence knowing when I've laid something at the feet of God that he has taken that up and is working on it. Walk like you believe that. Live like you believe that. Talk like you believe that. Watch your life. Watch your beliefs. Make sure what you believe about God is what God actually intended for you to believe. That it's really his word and it's really what he was teaching and is teaching through the word. So watch your life and your doctrine closely because it shapes everything at the other end of behavior. You act out what you believe. If you don't like some of your behaviors, check your beliefs. Okay, does that make sense? So watch them both. You can't do one without the other. Spurgeon, famous preacher from London back in the 1800s, gets quoted an awful lot again this morning. Uh, he wrote this. Some people like to read so many chapters every day. I would not dissuade them from the practice, but I would rather lay my soul a soak in a half dozen verses all day than rinse my hand in several chapters. You know, and I put this in here for this reason. Nothing I'm saying should be a guilt factor, okay? And if you're not a person who can sit down and read, you know, Deuteronomy on Tuesday, that's okay. That's all right. He's actually saying, you know, some people do that. They go and they just, they read and read and read and read and read. He said, but for him, this really incredible preacher in London, for him, he got more out of just reading a few verses and then chewing on that. Meditating is the word we would use meditating on that the rest of the day. Sometimes there are people who make you feel guilty for that. You only read three verses? Some people can read three verses and live them all day. And this is kind of what he's getting at. While somebody else read Deuteronomy and, you know, lived like Sodom and Gomorrah. It, it's not the volume. It's the quality. And so he says for him, and this is a personal thing for him, maybe for you too, but I wanted for those in the room where this is more your, this is where you're at, I wanted you to get this. Okay? I would rather lay my soul a soak a half dozen verses all day than rinse my hand in several chapters. Oh, to be bathed in the a text of Scripture and to let it be sucked up in your very soul till it saturates your heart. Pick a verse. That's all right to do. Find something that encourages you. Maybe it challenges you. Maybe it's something you it rebukes you and you need to grow in it. You, it may not be a day. You may want to say, this week, I'm looking at this. I'm praying about it. I'm trying to implement this. There was a point in my life where for a year, one verse in Ecclesiastes, I put everything, watch your life and your doctrine closely, I put everything through the filter of that passage. Ecclesiastes 7.18, it has done me well for years. The man of God avoids all extremes. Simple sentence. Changed my life. Put everything through it for a year. More than anything, it will change your attitude and your heart. And it will challenge you to think about what you allow yourself to chase after in your thoughts 
in your opinions and in your mind. The man of God avoids all extremes. That's that's mine. You can have it. Borrow it all you want to. I don't own it. But grab some truth like that. And if it's a year, you say, I'm going to do this for a year. Go do it. Get after it. And really soak that up. So, I'm going to wrap it up. It really does come down to these two things. This is, this is what I want you to do. Pray up and dig in. Okay? The first part of that. Carve out time in your life this week. Again, this is not a guilt thing. If it's five minutes in the morning, sit down and pray five minutes. If you go, oh, James, my, my mind's going to see 16 squirrels in five minutes. Add 30 se- Start with 30 seconds and add 30 seconds a day. You'll get there. Set aside a time that you're going to pray and spend that time with God. Love Him. Talk to Him. Share with Him. It doesn't have to be formal. You just talk to Him. That's what they do all through the Bible, isn't it? You don't see Abraham light candles and sit down cross-legged. You just see Abraham go outside and talk to God. Talk. Listen. Meditate. Read that passage. Chew on it again. Read it again. And let God shape and change you and dig your roots in even deeper. And second, I want to challenge you in this. I'm not going to tell you like how or which format or what, but find a way to connect with other Christians. That may be a friend at your kitchen table. That may be small group Bible study. It might be class, whatever. Find a way to involve yourself with other Christians around prayer and the Word of God. Because there is a blessing and a benefit there that there is no other way to get. So set that time aside too and watch how God will use that like miracle grow on your faith and on your character.